Nations. See ancient artifacts up close and long lost ancient scrolls. The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient history. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. I have a fascinating book in my library at home called The Lexus and the Olive Tree, written by Thomas Friedman, a journalist. I think he was for New York Times at one stage. But this book is fascinating. The Lexus being a very good car that uh, you tend to own if you're a little more wealthy. And the olive tree, well, that's the way the people in the Middle East make their money, many of them in times past, from the from the olive and uh, so that's uh, the rich, if you like, and the poor, the haves and the have-nots is, I guess, a way to put this book. What's interesting in this is Thomas Friedman explains what globalization is all about. Now, of course, globalization, we've, we've been down the track a little now, but it's fascinating that Friedman points out how come we've got to this point in our world today where, by and large, we are a global village. The whole world is just like that today. He says, well, there's a few things that have been driving the uh, globalization. Three factors in particular. Number one, he says, is the democratization of technology. Now, what does he mean by that fancy term? He simply means everybody today pretty well can get hold of modern technology. If you don't believe that, you can... uh, you know, go down to the second-hand shop down here somewhere in Hornsby and buy a uh, a laptop, a second-hand one, only going to cost you 100 to $200 sometimes, maybe even less. It's very easy to get your hands on this technology today, and if you want to, you can sell icy poles to the people up there in Greenland, if you want to, from here in Hornsby, right? We are connected, and everybody can access pretty much this technology today. It's drawn us in to be a global village. The second one, he says, is the democratization of finances. What he means by this is it's easy to get your hands on money. You say, tell me more. (laughs) Well... We mean we live in an age where it's easy to get small loans. They're called credit cards, aren't they, you know? Maybe dangerous sometimes, but it's easy to buy this stuff because more and more people today can get these little loans through credit cards. And this has helped people to get into this today. The last one, he says, is the democratization of information. It's very hard to stop information flowing around the world today. As you know, there are no bamboo curtains or iron curtains, and people can easily get information around the world. This is what brought down many uh, a number of Middle Eastern countries, Egypt namely, people getting on their phones and texting and so on. It's very hard for the government to stop the flow of information. And if you don't believe that, just switch on your television and you can watch your favourite a uh, soccer game from out of Mongolia or someplace if you want to watch it live almost today, right? Because information flows. So Thomas Friedman looks at this and he says, well, these are the factors that have driven us today to become a global village where we're so interconnected. But there are serious consequences, serious implications to this being a global village. Number one is this, that it's there, there's an opportunity 
for global economic control. Now that we're all connected so well, there is the opportunity for key players to actually control things. In fact, you know, John in the Revelation tells us very clearly that it's going to be Protestant USA. We talked about this beast from the land the other night that John so clearly identifies for us, giving us five factors we notice to identify, five characteristics to identify this power. John says in the Revelation, this is what's going to happen. He, the land beast, causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or in their foreheads, he says, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or, he says, the number of his name. In other words, this power, John says, is one day going to control the world economically so that you will not, the whole world will not be able to buy or sell. Some way it's going to do this, John says. So 2,000 years ago, John recognized that there will come a time when we will be controlled economically by some power. And John says it's going to be this beast that comes up from the land. No question. We live in a world today where this is possible. We're moving in that direction today. The second one is the possibility for global economic collapse. Because if we're all interconnected, if one uh, great power gets an economic cold, then it can spread very rapidly to the rest of the world. And we have seen that in the GFC, right? America caught a cold, an economic cold, and uh, the rest of the world caught it. And we were having, you know, bailout packages and all sorts of things around the world. But John says, in the end of time, there is a great power known as Babylon the Great. Babylon the Great consists of three powers that come together in the end of time. The dragon, the beast from the sea, and the beast from the land. He calls them Babylon the Great in Revelation. These powers unfortunately, are going to cause an economic meltdown when they come unstuck in their alliance, which is coming. John says, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, and we'll understand this next weekend, when we look at demonic dimensions, no uh, night cry. So don't miss that program next week when we unpack this a lot more, this idea of Babylon and what's going to happen and what is happening Alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, the mighty city, for in one hour your judgments have come. And the merchants of the earth, the financiers, he's saying, the businesses and so on, the merchants of the earth will weep on a, a weep over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. For in one hour such great riches come to nothing. John here portrays or predicts that down in the end of time there is going to be a global financial meltdown that we haven't that we haven't the likes which we haven't seen he says here all right so this is the second great danger of a global economic village or the opportunity is there for a global economic meltdown because when one uh, power goes down it can bring the others down as well and john indicates that sort of thing is going to happen in the end of time we're moving in those directions now let me share with you in that great time God has some keys for financial security, not just for then, but for now, in fact. Now, if I was 
Bill Gates, you would pay big dollars to sit and listen to what I'm about to say, right? <laughs> Just because I'm, I would be, if I was Bill Gates. But I'm not Bill Gates, but I'm going to share you some keys to financial security that are in this book that are much better than what Bill Gates can offer you, and it's all free. You're going to see this afternoon tremendous principles, principles that help us to face the coming economic crisis that's coming to this world as a result of what we saw the other day. Really, the heart of it is a religious thing, right? No one can buy or sell unless they have the mark. And if you have the mark, you worship the beast. We've seen that. Worship, worship, worship. And Sir Arnold J. Toynbee, that great British historian, said that spiritual issues are at the heart of the major crisis or religious issues at the heart of the major crises on this planet. So the keys of financial security, let me share them with you in our first session this afternoon. Number one. What we're going to see in this secret for God's providing for his children at such a time as now and in the future. Number one is this. God says we need to trust and rest in his care. We need to trust God. Jesus put it this way. He said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, about what you will eat or about your body, what you will put on. Consider the ravens or the birds, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more, he says, a value are you than the birds? If then God so clothes the grass, which today, he says, is in the fields and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith, he said. Your father knows that you need these things. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment because many of us, too many of us, myself included sometimes, we worry about our stuff. We worry about this. We worry about many things. We worry about the job we may have. We worry about whether we're going to make ends meet, the mortgage, and a thousand things we worry about. But Jesus said, do not worry. He didn't say that for fun. He said, your father has a great care for all of your needs. That is very good news because worry is killing many people today, not only in terms of their relationships, but physically. Physically, the worries and the stresses of making ends meet are ruining many lives. Sometimes we are so anxious about stuff, especially financial things, things connected to finances, that it ruins our health and it ruins our family and our relationships with other people. Don't worry, Jesus said. I like the way Peter put, cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, I don't know what stresses you're going through financially. Maybe it's the school fees. Maybe it's the mortgage. May It can be a thousand things, but I want you to know that this is a promise that you can claim for yourself today. Cast all your cares upon him, all our worries. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are labor and have heavy burdens. And burdens, financial burdens can crush us. So Jesus said, listen, bring it to me. 
cast all your cares upon me, for he cares for you. And I have found that promise tremendous help because sometimes I worry unnecessary. Worry is blind, you see. It can't see the future. It all just causes more trouble. We need to trust God. Number two in the keys to financial security is this. Make God your first priority in life. Notice what Jesus said. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he said, talking about the food and the clothes and so on, all these things shall be added to you. What a tremendous promise this is. Seek first the kingdom of God. But so often we get so busy, we think that we have to look after number one or our stuff and God comes second, third, fourth. No, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first in your life. Put him first. Spend time with him at the beginning of the day and watch him work to help us in this other stuff. This is a promise. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. This is the God of the universe, the God who created everything, the God who knows how you tick, the God who knows how many hairs on your head, the God who knows everything. This is his promise. What a tremendous thing. We need to claim this promise. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will definitely be added unto us. Now, the third break principle is this. Remember that God owns everything, bar nothing. This will actually take the strain out of things if we think about this. Notice what the Bible says. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Bill Gates or whoever it is, may say, it's mine, but Bill, you're wrong. Or Mr. Fairfax, you're wrong. Or whoever owns so much money, it's not yours, it's God's. You can have it today and it can evaporate tomorrow morning. That's what happens sometimes on the share market around the world at different times. Somebody's rich today, they can be bankrupt tomorrow. The earth is the Lord's and its fullness, all of it the world and those who dwell therein. And Jesus, uh, the God in the Psalms, said these words, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field. They are mine. So if we can keep that in focus, that I own nothing. I come into the world naked as a little baby, and that's how I'm going out like that. Go in with nothing, I go out with nothing. God owns everything. Remember that, says God. In fact, God owns everything twice, as we've seen before, because number one, he made it all. He's the creator of everything, says God. And not only that, he died on the cross to redeem the whole world. Everything God has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. He owns it twice. Now, the fourth great principle is this. Remember that we are God's managers, not the owners. God's just said that. We are the managers. And this is the way Paul puts it, Peter, I should say, puts it in his letter. As each one has received a gift, he says, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace or gift of God. Notice that word stewards. A steward, according to the Concise Oxford Dictionary means this, a person who is entrusted with the management of another's property. 
not the owner, but the one who looks after it for the owner. And that's exactly what every human being is today. We are not owners. No matter who we are on planet Earth, we are but stewards or managers of that which God gives to us. Now, we are managers of many things that God gives to us, gifts. Number one, life itself. Life is precious. Every person is precious. It's a gift from God. Were God to uh, just drop us out of his hand, we would cease to be. That's the way the Bible puts it. As Daniel was speaking to Belshazzar, he says, Belshazzar, you have been a fool. You have lived life in the fast lane, and you did not regard the fact that God holds your very life in his hand. Were he to let you go, you would cease to be. This is the way the Bible says that we have life because it's a gift from God. So therefore, we should guard and care for our life, our health, and so on. We are stewards of time. You know, what a tragedy sometimes when people waste time. Time is a gift that can be used to help other people in life. The happiest people on this planet, let me tell you, are those who help others. I remember once reading of one of the Rockefellers. I've forgotten which one it was. Very wealthy man. But he was dying from all the ulcers that he had. And he decided when he was really crook, he decided maybe he should start giving his money away. So he began to start giving money to great causes, great charities and so on. And that man lived to well into his 90s. But he was really crook when he was much younger from all his worries. But he learned the lesson. We are here. We are here to use time to help other people give the gift God gives the gift of time. Let's use it wisely. We are stewards of the talents and the abilities, and every one of us here have some abilities that we can use to help other people. Many talents. Some people play you know, musical instruments. Others are very smart at making money. That's a gift to be able to do that. But use it to bless other people as well, not just ourselves. Some people have the ability in sports and so on. These are gifts that we are to use for the glory of actually God himself. The other thing we all have is money. We have material resources and God provides us with money. In fact, the Bible puts it this way, that it's God who gives us the ability to get the very money that we have. Notice what the Bible says here. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth. That's an important principle. We sometimes may think we're clever in our business or we're clever in what we do in life. But no, the very abilities that we have that give us that opportunity to get money for what we do comes from God himself. Everything is a gift from God. And we are to be stewards or managers of even the money we have. And because we're looking now at the keys to financial security, we're going to share a little more in this area this afternoon. How do we remember, how do we remember that the Lord our God gives us the power to get wealth? The Bible shares with us a very important principle that helps us to remember that it's God who gives us the power to get wealth. I want to talk about an interesting principle or an interesting custom in Bible times. 
back in the times of Abraham, way back around about 2000 BC in that period, we have what we call the patriarchal age. And we have discoveries from, especially in the area of Mesopotamia, of some of the very principles and practices, cultural practices that are mentioned in the Bible in the time of Abraham, because this was the where archaeologists have in their excavations have found some of these same practices and cultural habits and so on that are found in this book at the time of Abraham. Now, one of the practices was this. They had what they called the birthright. Now, it simply meant this, that the oldest son in a clan, the oldest son in a family, he was given the right to be able to look after the whole clan materially and also spiritually in their clan. So it worked like this. The eldest son, when the father died, he would pass this birthright on to the oldest son who would now be, if you like, sort of the spiritual head of the clan and also he would have the money, but not just for himself. He was to look after the clan. He was to be able to help provide for everyone in that clan. Well, it so happens in the Bible that Abraham had two grandsons, Abraham and Isaac. Sorry, Isaac had a his son was Isaac, and he had Isaac had two sons, twin brothers, Jacob and Esau, grandsons of Abraham. Well, one day, Isaac, uh, sorry, uh, Esau, who was a hunter, by the way, he loved to go out in the bush and and uh, get animals and so on and and, and kill them. Uh, that was his way. He brought stuff for the clan, but his brother Jacob was like a in charge of the gardens and the, the, the domestic animals, you know, the sheep and goats and so on. And so one day Jacob is cooking up a pot of lentils and his brother who's been out hunting, Esau, comes along and he says, man, I'm ravenous, I could eat a horse. And uh, Jacob says, whoa, is that right? Uh, he says, do you want some? He says, yeah, but he, Jacob says, on one condition, you sell me your birthright and I'll give you a pot of lentils. Now, Jacob had no concern for the spiritual stuff concerned with the birthright and he just said yeah give me that stuff and and he scoffed it down and sold his birthright blessing at least as far as Jacob was concerned Jacob took it seriously well some years go by and the father Isaac he's getting very old in fact he's almost blind he can hardly see anything and he knows his days are up so he calls in his oldest son Esau because the father doesn't know about this little deal that took place some years ago over a pot of lentils. So he calls him in and he says, now listen here, boy, I'm about to die and I need to pass the birthright blessing on to you in a special ceremony that we have, you know. He says, now you go out into the bush and you kill a deer and you bring it back, you cook it up and bring it to me and I will eat the meal and then I will lay my hands on you and bless you and pass the birthright blessing on to you. So Jake, uh, Esau takes off. But you see, the mother, Rebecca, she overheard the father say this to the oldest son, the oldest of the twins, who came out first when they were born. And she had her favorite son was the younger guy, Jacob. And she wanted him to have the birthright. And he wanted it too, especially the spiritual part he wanted. So she says to her son, now listen here, son. Your dad is about to pass the birthright blessing on to your older brother Esau. This is what I want you to do. She says, you go and kill a goat out there. You bring it in. 
and I'll cook it up, and then you take this into your dad, and he will pass the blessing on to you. And Jacob says, hang on, mum, hang on, wait a minute. He says, my brother Esau, he's a hairy guy. He's got hair all over his body. My dad will call me and over, and he'll, and he'll say, come on here, boy. I can't see you, but come over here, and he'll feel me, and he'll know, hey, this is, this is, this is Jacob. You know, I always sound like Jay, uh, I don't sound like Esau either. She says, you leave it to me, boy. You just do what I tell you. So her son goes out and gets a goat, kills it, brings it to his mother, and she cooks this thing up. And then she gets some of the skins off that goat, and she ties them to her son, arms, and so on. So there he goes. He goes into his dad who can't see. And he says, Dad, here I am. I've come for the birthright blessing. Well, uh, Isaac says, boy, that was quick. How come so quickly you got that, that, uh, that, uh, that deer that you went out for? He says, no, no problem. God brought it to me. Now the boy brings God into this thing. God sent the animal to me. So he says, man, you sound like Jacob. Come over here, he says. So he comes over and he feels him. He says, man, you sound like Jacob, but you feel like my oldest boy. And so he lays his hands on him and he blesses him. And when you give a blessing in these times, you couldn't take it back. So he does that. He passes on the birthright blessing to his oldest son. Well, he's hardly out of the tent when in comes the older brother with his pot, with his uh, plate of stew and so on from the deer that he's caught. And he says, here I am, Dad. Come here for the birthright blessing. And he says, what do you mean? You've already had it. Ah, then they realize what had happened. The younger brother had cheated the older brother out of this birthright blessing. And the older brother was heard to say, when my dad dies, this young brother of mine will be dead meat. I'm going to kill him. So I get everything. Well, mum overhears that and she says, boy, you better run for your life because when dad's dead, which won't be so long, you're going to be dead meat. So you better run. So Jacob leaves home. Never to see his mother again, never to see his father again, and sets off on a journey from down in Israel, way up through Syria and going down towards Mesopotamia, but up to the top of Syria. And as this boy is journeying along, you can imagine he would be pretty depressed. He's stolen from his brother. He's lied to his father. He's brought God into all this stuff, and he feels so far from God. He feels that God doesn't care about him anymore. He feels that his family will never see them again, and he is in the pits as he travels along. Well, as he comes to uh, go to sleep that night, he lays down on a pillow. Those of you who were in our first program, we showed you one of Pharaoh Tutankhamun's pillows, you know, that little headrest. Not so, not so strange when you consider that this was the headrest that they had a piece of stone nicely carved, of course, for the Pharaoh. But Jacob just lay down, put his head on a stone and went to sleep. But that night, as Jacob slept, he had a dream. And he dreamt of a great staircase, much like this sort of pyramid you can see here in Chetzen Itza, a staircase, because the ancient ziggurats were like staircases up to the gods and so on. And he dreamt of this staircase and there were angels going up and down on this staircase between heaven and earth in his dream. And as he dreamt, he heard the voice of God speaking to him from the top of this staircase. And this is what God said. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am with you. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This guy is a sneak and a cheek. 
and, a, and, and whatever else you can put on it, and yet God is speaking to him so kindly. The tremendous grace of God right here in this story. I will, I am with you and I will keep you wherever you go and I will bring you back, he says, to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Isn't that incredible, my friends, this afternoon? What a God. This guy, we would have said, zap the guy. I mean, he's a rotter. The way he's treated his dad and his brother, you know, don't come here for any help, but not our God. You know, this is true for some of us sometimes. All of us from time to time, we make mistakes and we feel pretty bad. Maybe you've done something terrible in your life and you feel God could never forgive you for what you've done. Maybe you've cheated on your parents yourself. Maybe you've done something against your children. And you know that's really separating you from God and God could never have much more to do with you. Let me tell you, you are dead wrong. This story tells us that there is a God who cares about us no matter how far we've gone, how far we've run from him, he still cares for each one of us. What an amazing story. So here Jacob wakes up and he realizes that this is the very way to God. In fact, Jesus talked about this very story when he talked to one of his followers, Nathaniel, on one occasion. And notice what he said. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jesus said, That staircase between earth to heaven, that represents me in Jacob's vision. What Jacob saw that day was that there would be a way between man and God so they could come back together again. And I am that staircase, said Jesus to Nathaniel. That's why Jesus said these words to his followers. I am the way, meaning the way to God. I am the truth and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jacob saw that night. And when he woke up, he was just amazed at the grace of God. And I want you to notice what he said. When he thought about the fact that though he had done so terrible things, he could see there was going to be a way back to God. And it was really through Jesus Christ who was yet to come. This is what he said. If God will be with me, meaning since God is going to be with me and keep me, and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, then the Lord will be my God, he said. And he said, of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth to you. Notice this, if God is going to do all this for me, going to be with me, he says, then I'm surely going to give you the tenth. Now, what was he talking about here? Well, in the Bible, in response to grace, God calls his people to return to him what he calls a tenth or a tithe. This is mentioned many times in the Bible. In response to the grace of God, Jacob said, if that's what God's going to do, then I will return to him what belongs to him. And so the Bible has this principle, and it's this principle that helps you and I to have financial security if we approach it through the faith of God. Now, notice here, we go back a little bit to Abraham. Abraham returned God a tenth. He once went out, fought some enemies with 300 men in his, in his little group that he had, and he fought thousands of people who had taken the, the, the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah captives. On, this is before those cities were destroyed. And Abraham had rescued everybody from the hands of the enemy. And when he came back with all the loot from the enemy, this is what he said. And he, Abraham, gave 
him a tithe or a tenth of all. God had defeated the enemy for Abraham and he recognized by the grace of God he would do this thing. He would return God his tenth. Now tithe or the tenth is God's in the Bible. I want you to notice it. It says these words, all the tithe of the land, uh, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree is the Lord's. It is holy or it's set apart for God himself. God says, this is mine of all that you have, the tenth. Now, what a generous God when you think about it. Who owns everything? God owns a lot. But he only says, you just return this tenth to me in a special way. This is my portion, says God, of all the tithes of the land. Now, what's it used for? Well, the tithe in the Bible is used for the support of what the Bible calls gospel workers or those who share the things of God to help people find eternal life. Notice the principle in the Old Testament. You may have read in the story of Israel when they came out of Egypt that there were 12 tribes of Israel. Twelve of these tribes went and entered into Israel, and 11 of them had quite a lot of land, either to raise crops or to grow, uh, to have animals that they had, cattle and sheep and so on. But one tribe was not given so much land. It was the tribe of Levi. Why? Because they were to look after the sanctuary or the temple that we've talked about. They were the ones who were to care for it because it served the whole nation. People brought their animals there for their sacrifices, for the forgiveness of sins, pointing forward to the Messiah, as we talked about. So how would they survive? Well, they survived through this tenth principle. Notice what the Bible says here when we go back to this time period. Behold, I have given the children of Levi, that's the tribe that looked after the temple, all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle or the sanctuary or the temple of meeting. So that's how these people and their families survived because they looked after the spiritual interests of the nation of Israel. Now, Paul says this same principle comes into the Christian church. Notice what he says talking to the people in Corinth. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things, he says, they eat of the things of the temple. They who look after, they eat of those things, he says. And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings because people bring them and they take the tenth, he says. Even so, he says, the Lord has commanded. This is not Paul's idea. This is God's idea in the New Testament period. Even so, the Lord has commanded, he says, that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. In other words, those people who have been blessed, they return as well. Now, what's interesting, of course, is this. Even the gospel workers or the tribe of Levi, they returned a tenth too. So it was equal. It wasn't as if everybody else did this and not them. No, no. Everybody did this, including the priests and including the gospel ministers in the New Testament period. Notice what the Bible says. And the priest, the descendants of Aaron, shall be with, he says, with the Levites, when the Levites receive tithes, and the Levites shall bring up, it says, they will bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of God. So while they receive from everybody, they themselves returned a tenth as well. Wouldn't that be great if it was like that in Australia? Everybody gives a tenth or whatever it is, you know, the same. But no, sometimes things are not like that, that's for sure. 
The more you get, the more you tax, don't you, right? To the, to the rooms of the storehouse, which is the temple of God. So everybody did the same in Israel. Everybody returned the tenth, including the priests or the gospel ministers in the New Testament time. What a pity that this is a, this principle isn't followed today by many Christians. You see, we wouldn't have to have bingos and fates to look after the priest or the preachers or whatever it is, those who care for the spiritual engine. We wouldn't need that stuff if only God's people followed God's book. God had a plan that was equal for everybody and uh, that would help move forward God's work for saving the world. Now, Jesus Christ also believed in returning God's tithe. He was a great believer in this principle. In fact, this is what he talked about to the Jewish leaders. These Jewish leaders were very particular about returning a tenth of things, but they neglected being kind and fair and just, and Jesus chastised them for this. Notice what he said. He said, you pay tithe of mint, little tiny herbs and so on, and anise and cumin. You give a tenth of those things, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, God's word, justice and mercy. And he said, and faith, these you ought to have done without leaving the other undone. He said, you really should do both. This was the great principle that Jesus, he was himself a person who believed in God's tenth. No question here. Now, let me say there is a tremendous blessing in this. When we follow the word of God in anything, let me tell you, we will see the hand of God in our life. God can care for us when we follow his words. Notice number one blessing is financial security. The Bible makes it very plain. Here we go to Malachi's book, and he's talking to the Israelites because they're not returning their tenth, and God is calling them back to this. But notice what promise God makes in this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, meaning my temple, and try me now, God says, give me a go. You test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven, and he says, and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, that's a promise, isn't it? That's a promise. God says, listen, you be faithful in the tithe and you watch. I will open heaven's windows, as it were, and I will pour out you on you so much blessing that you won't have enough to receive it. Is this true? Does this work? Jesus gave this principle when it comes to being generous. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Will be put into your bosom, said Jesus. That's what's going to happen when we're generous and we give. He says, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. We're generous, it comes back to us. That's a great principle in this book. We're stingy, it comes back to us. We don't have so much. Those who are generous, God provides for them in different ways. Now, does it really work? It surely does. You've seen these brand names on the supermarket, just when you finish here this afternoon, pop down to Coles and you can buy Kraft. The man who started Kraft Cheddar Cheese Company was a man who believed in God and who believed in this principle and returned his tenth to God. It surely prospered him. Same with Mr. Hines with how many varieties he's got, probably over 60 these days, I don't know. But Mr. Hines, who started that great company, 
He returned God his tenth, and God blessed him. Same as when you scrub your teeth and you use Colgate toothpaste. That man who began that company originally, he returned God his tenth. God is faithful when we are faithful. He looks after us, no question about this. My wife and I, actually, when we was, I was a student studying, we were, uh, she was working, putting bread on the table and so on, and I was a student studying, and we were reading one day a magazine about a woman who came to her, her priest, her pastor, and she said, now listen here, she said, uh, I need a special dispensation here in this tithe thing, she said. Because look, I'm a solo mum, I got five kids to look after, and she came to him and she said, now listen here, pastor, you look at this, here's what the cost of electricity is, this is the cost of food, this is the school fees, this is this, this, this. She had it all itemized out nice and neatly, and she said, look here, there's none left for God, so get me out of this thing. She said, I want out of this tithe thing. He looked at the lady and he said, well, you know, I'd love to say, yeah, don't worry, but it wasn't my idea. It's God's idea. So how can I say don't do it when God says do it? She said, I'll bust him. And she got really mad and she banged her foot on the floor and she stomped out and she said, I'll give him two tithes. Well, she didn't need to do that. But she was a woman of her word. And a few months later, she comes back to her pastor and she said, you know, I'm better off today on eight-tenths than I was on ten-tenths. I'm much better off now, she said. I can't believe it. She said, look. She said, I got a new job and this, 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 and this. And she said, look at my finances. I'm better off with less. Now, my wife and I, we looked at each other as we're reading this article, and we thought, well, we give God a tenth already, but let's increase our giving part, uh, just returning other things to God uh, for his work. So we did. You know what? Almost immediately, we received two checks in the mail. First of all, my wife had been working for a company and uh, she had worked for them for about nine years. And uh, she she was pregnant, carrying our first child. And she said to me one day, she said, sweetheart, I want uh, to stop working uh, because, you know, it's only six months and uh, our child is coming along. Can I quit? Well, what can I say? I mean, she's putting the bread on the table. But no, I said, sweetheart, we'll, we'll make ends meet. We'll get there. We're... We're doing okay. We've only got six months of our study left anyway, so let's, you quit. So she did, but she said, you need to know something. If I quit, we're going to lose a thousand dollars on top of this because if I work 10 years, I get a bonus of a thousand dollars. But if I don't, I'm out. I lose that. Don't worry. It's okay. We'll survive without the thousand dollars. You know, that check came in the mail. Even though she had only worked for nine years, they got her a check of a thousand dollars anyway. And uh, that's not usual, is it? And then we receive another check in the mail for me for a scholarship I didn't even know existed. And it was shortly after this event. I want to tell you, okay, I guess there's other people who could, who could share this this afternoon. God is faithful. I don't know how that works. But I know God's promise is true. And if we try God, we will see him work in amazing ways that help us to have financial security. We don't have to worry about stuff these days now that we have this principle because God looks after us. We care we care about him and we love him and he looks after things. Now, there's a second thing about this, not just material blessings, but there is an, an increase of faith that we have. You see, it takes faith, doesn't it, to like that lady who said, well, I haven't got any money to do this, but I'll launch out. That's faith. 
And when we launch out, not knowing how we're going to get through, God increases our faith. And that's one of the greatest blessings. In fact, it says these words in Second Corinthians. Paul writes, he says, we live by faith and not by sight. In other words, God's people, sometimes they have to step out and do things that God says, even though they know not know sure how it's going to work out. Abraham was like that. Abraham was called, Abraham, leave your country and go to a place where I will send you. He didn't know where God was going to send him. He just obeyed God because he knew he could trust God because God never asked us to do anything that's not for our good. That's his promise. So we live by faith. And as we launch out to do something, we don't know how we're going to see God do anything, but we trust God. We will see and our faith will grow because we've responded in trust to God. So then the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. You see, Jesus said these words to the devil when he tempted him. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. My friend this afternoon, whatever God says to you, said Mary to the people who were serving the, the water that became wine. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. And you and I will see the hand of God in our lives. No question about it. So God says, bring all the tithes. Test me now by doing this. Put me to the test and you will see my hand work. That's what God is saying. It's a great way to grow our faith. Hear God's word and then act on it and you watch what happens, says God, I will look after you. The third great blessing of returning our tithe and offerings and so on is it promotes a generous spirit. It starves our selfishness. By nature, all of us are selfish creatures. We try to hoard everything. We want stuff. But when we come to God, we see that his heart is not like that. His is a generous spirit. And as we participate with this in God, this principle starves our selfishness and we become less selfish day by day as we follow this great principle. You see, this was in the life of a man who came to Jesus one day. He was a young man. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, because he said, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Jesus said, you lack one thing. He said, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, Jesus said, and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up your cross and follow me. But he was sad at his word and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, Jesus is not asking all of us to sell everything we have. What he knew was this man. This man said, I keep all the commandments. But Jesus knew there was one he was not keeping. That's for sure. And that was this business of another God and his God was his money. This was more important than to him, to God. So Jesus touched his, his life at a sore point. He said, you give this stuff away. Jesus was offering him an opportunity to actually become part of his great work, but the man turned it down for his money. What a tragedy. But Jesus knew that if he followed what he said, this man would be a generous man. He would be a happy man, but he went away very sorrowful because of his possessions. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, says the uh, Paul here, as he's speaking, he says that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's the truth, my friend, this afternoon. That's one of the great principles. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Our faith grows strong. Our generous spirit grows because it is more blessed to give than to receive. A generous spirit is promoted. Now, 
The last great principle is this. We get to partner with the God of the universe in helping to save people eternally. Notice the words of Paul to his friends in Corinth. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he said, that though he was rich and Jesus was mighty rich, he owns the whole universe, says Paul. He owns everything and he's very rich. But he said that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. He had to borrow a boat. He had to borrow a donkey. Jesus had very little except what was on his back. Though he was very rich, he became poor. Why? Yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. God is telling us here, when we return to him his tithes and his offerings, when we join him in his same spirit of generosity to help others, we partner with him in the greatest enterprise on planet earth bar none, that of helping people to have eternal life. You know, it's one thing to have a great life on this planet for maybe 70 years. Maybe you'll make it to 100. If you're lucky, you'll get to 120, but there's very few there. But what about living on and on and on like we talked about yesterday? That's another thing. And that's why Jesus became poor so that we could become rich eternally. So we get to partner with God, investing in eternal life for other people. That's what the Bible says. Now, returning to God, his tithe is a moral issue, says Malachi. This is not just some take it or leave it issue. No, God says this is a moral issue. Notice what he said to the Israelites who stopped returning God their tithe. They thought, no, no, we'll do it our way. Will a man rob God, says God through Malachi? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? Where did we rob you, God? Now, God says in tithes and in offerings. He says, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So to withhold the tenth from God, God calls that robbery. That's a serious thing to rob from a person, but to rob from God, God says, listen, the whole nation of Israel has turned away, and I want you to come back to this because I want to bless you. I want to look after you. So you and I should bank your treasure, our treasures in heaven. That's how we do it. Heaven has a bank, and it starts on this earth. And God's great way of looking after us, even though we cannot see our way, he has ways for us. A young a man in the Bible, a farmer one day, was confronted with his own selfishness. And I want you to notice what Jesus said. He said, this man, he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns. He was a rich farmer, and I'll build greater barns. And there I will store all my crops and my goods, he said. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. You're a wealthy man, he said. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night... Because his life was in the hand of God. This night your, night, your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? My friend, God is saying, we need to count who really owns everything. We come into the world with nothing. We go with nothing. God said of this man, you are a fool. This night your life will be required. Then who will have all that stuff? For what profit it is to a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world, 
richest man on the planet, and loses his own soul, loses eternity? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What would we give? This is a good question that Jesus confronted the Israelites there in his day. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And let me tell you, my friends, when you and I have our focus on God and eternity, and we see what really counts in this life, that of helping other people to have a better life now and in eternity, that's when we, our heart is where our treasure is. Our heart will be there when we understand. Now, how should we give tithe? Well, it means this. If I go to work and I get $100 for my paycheck that week, pretty poor man, pretty poor boss who's paying you $100 if you work 40 hours a week or something, isn't it? But you get $100, you give God 10. One-tenth, it's very easy. Uh, If I get $10, I return $1. It's such a simple principle. Offerings, that's up to you and I. God doesn't tell us how much to give for other things, but he says the tenth, that is the way I want you to do it. It means the tenth. That's how we calculate it. So here are the keys to financial security, my friend. Number one, trust in God. Rest in his care. Jesus put it this way, do not worry. Cast our cares upon him. That's a great principle because we can kill ourselves through stress and worry over our stuff. Number two, make God your first priority in life. Put him first in all your life and watch what God will do. The happiest people, let me tell you, on planet Earth are like Jesus, who seek first the kingdom of God. No man was happier than Jesus, and yet no man had so much more trouble than Jesus Christ, but he was very happy. Remember God owns all. We don't own anything. We are simply managers, number four. That's all we are. We are looking after what belongs to God in everything in life. And finally, return God's tithes and his offerings, whatever that may be for you. That's your decision. But tithe, return those and watch the hand of God. You will see God at work. And not only that, your faith will grow stronger. I like the way Dottie Rambo put it in one of her songs. She says, the things that we love and we hold dear to our hearts, she said, they're just borrowed. They're not ours at all. God owns it. Jesus only lets us use them to brighten our lives and the lives of others. So remind us, remind us, dear Lord. Good words from Dottie Rambo there in that song. Well, Remind us, dear Lord. And how does he remind us? How do we remember that we get everything? We remember through his tent. Now let's come back to this where we began. Economics in the end of time are going to be used to enforce global worship. That's what the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation. As we near the end of time, the back pocketbook, the checkbook, the credit card is going to be used to enforce global worship, meaning money that which is dear and important to all of us. And we saw that it's going to be that beast from the land that has the economic clout to do this and cause this across the world. That's where it's going to come from. John says this beast from the land. Now, notice these words again. He, the land beast, which we saw the other day, causes all across the planet, both small and great, whether you're a, 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 you know, one of the leaders or one of the uh, guys who are just the ordinary people like us here. 
whether you're great or rich or poor, whether you're wealthy or whether you don't have hardly anything, whether you're free or a slave, he says, this beast is going to cause all to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And one of the ways it's going to happen is this, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name that we talked about yesterday. You see, my friends, there is a time coming for every person on planet Earth where sadly for most people, money or their job or their bank account or whatever will be more important to them than God. That's where the Bible brings this issue in. You see, this is going to be a test for all of us one day. Is God more important to me or is this financial stuff more important to me? Because if it is more important than God, then I will take the beast mark because I won't want to lose my stuff. I want to keep my job or whatever it is. Those financial issues. Now, God has given us a principle now that will help us to have absolute trust in him. And the tithing principle is one of the great things that God has given to people today so that when those times come, when those issues come, those issues of will we follow God, will we trust God, or will we take this beast mark, we will be absolutely able to trust God because we've learned to trust him day by day today. When the big issues come, we will be able to sail through them with God's strength because we've faced them little by little before those great issues. We've learned to trust God in one way here through returning to him that which he calls us to return to him. Let's bow together in prayer and then we'll take a break. Father in heaven, thank you so much that You've given us this principle. At first it seems that God is taking away. You don't need the tithe. You own everything anyway. This is not for your benefit so much because you could click your fingers and billions of dollars would flow right out of your hands. But you have this for humans. You choose to use us to help people and your cause, those in need and helping people to have the understanding of the gospel of your love. Help us, Lord, today to determine that we'll follow your word because you have promised you will be faithful. You love us, and whatever you ask us to do, it's only to help us, to help our faith, so that when these great issues come, and they're coming soon, we will be faithful because we've already learned to trust you in the easier times. Bless us now. May we determine to be faithful to you in this issue too. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.